Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, again, uh, the, the secretary you know, issued a statement on Saturday, taking full responsibility, committed to doing better. Uh, as you've probably heard, we're conducting a review to look at the relevant facts, uh, the timelines. And so I think a lot of that will enable us to look at uh, where we can improve and what we need to do better moving forward. In addition, the Department of Defense Inspector General is also going to conduct a review to, to look at the notification timelines and processes. Uh, and so, of course, we welcome that uh, and we'll look forward to looking at, at what we can do procedurally moving forward. I do think it's important to highlight that we have taken some immediate steps to uh, ensure that when there is a transfer of authority, uh, that, that the, the right people know as quickly as possible. Uh, and that it includes a reason why that transfer of authority included. I don't think it's a question of procedure to know you pick up a phone and tell the president of the United States that the secretary of defense is in a hospital. The level of spin coming from the Pentagon, coming from the National Security Council, that's all about how we're going to do better. I think the conversation is about what you did, why you did it. And who within the ranks of the military doesn't know that you inform your superior that you're going to be away from your post? Tony Katz, it's good to be with you. This matters in the context of the joint uh, use of U.S. and and the United Kingdom in a military attack on the Houthi rebels who've been attacking ships and others uh, out of Yemen, which is, of course, uh, the Houthi rebels supported by Iran. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired United States Army West Point guy, military analyst, up and down your television dial. Uh, you have been looking at this situation. We'll get to the Pentagon in a minute. Talk to me about the decision to go forward with the UK uh, in engaging an attack on uh, the Houthi rebels. Where did they hit? What do we think uh, will come from it? Uh, good morning, Tony. Yeah, first of all, this attack could have happened two weeks ago or could have happened two months ago. And uh, finally, the administration decides to get with allies. I think it's a good good move to get with other allies, with the Brits in particular, uh, because this was complex. I mean, 100 bombs, 60 targets uh, put you know men and women in harm's way for sure. Uh, to go after this, to try to establish some level of deterrence, you know, back in the region there and back in a place where we should have been monitoring these maritime shipping ways um, to go after, for example, air defense platforms first, the CAD, uh, that's uh, the search and and, and uh, to go after those those kind of air defense systems that they have set up there and the anti-ship missiles um, hit probably hard and soft targets. We haven't seen a battle damage assessment just yet um, because a lot of these targets were mobile. And we also saw that the administration gave really a heads up to what, what are, I think are the Iranian crews that were probably on these uh, manning these places inside of Yemen, inside of these targets, sets a heads up because for whatever reason, this administration does not want to put uh, Iranian soldiers in harm's way at the other end of the spear, even though they're clearly the, the archers in this, this whole operation. So I think um, it's a good start. We have to see what happens. We see what the response will be. It could mean an escalation, but again, if they'd done this two months ago, maybe it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be the place we are right now. Now, that's exactly where I have been, that there's no reason that this hasn't happened months ago. There's no reason that when the Houthi rebels started going after ships, when the Iranians started going after oil tankers, that the response wasn't swift and severe 
right from the beginning. So there's a question as to why not? Why is it that it took so long? Is this all about some idea of, of well, we were trying to negotiate. Negotiate with whom? And about what? And to what purpose? To what effect? What did you think was going to happen? We heard so much about how the administration wanted to negotiate uh, with, with the Houthis. They were trying to negotiate this out. There's negotiation that's possible. Major Mike Lyons with the Houthi rebels who are clearly backed by Iran. I don't see it. Um, you know, the Houthis have got to now evaluate their relationship with the Iranians, knowing full well that it's not just the United States. It's uh, England, Australia, other countries have, have decided to get involved with this now. And, um, you know, they're going to put themselves in a position where they're going to see more damage. It's likely we could see a scenario that happened in the 80s when, you know, Ronald Reagan said, you know, enough's enough with the Iranian, uh, what they were doing in the Persian Gulf and put uh, three quarters of that Navy in the bottom of that sea there. So we could literally just go through and destroy each one of these sites and just keep escalating. Um, There's no other issue here. We've got to have concerns of our ally in Saudi Arabia, who has been fighting this uh, war with the Houthis for the past few years and had had some kind of ceasefire agreement with them. But that could also be all, uh, you know, that's another consideration we have to take into into what's going on here. So now you see this this happening. Uh, You talk about these targets. You talk about you like the idea that this was done with the United Kingdom. Did the United States come to the U.K. and say, hey, here's what we're going to do? Or did the U.K. have to take leadership on this one? No, the U.S. clearly led the way here, likely with the intelligence, knowing the amount of um, commerce that has been affected. I mean, this is a this is a global issue here. I mean, it's affecting what's going on in the world. If you saw those maps, the amount of ships that have to avoid the Suez Canal, the Egyptians should have been angry as well because they're losing that commerce that was coming through uh, that part of the world. Um, and, And this is something that our Navy does uh, should be doing throughout the world, providing safe passage for our maritime ships. If you saw the Chinese, uh, some of the some of the ships were faking that they were uh, flagged under Chinese uh, control uh, in a way to try to avoid because for whatever reason, um, the Houthis are deterred by the Chinese. They're afraid of them, but they're not afraid of us. So maybe this will change that calculus on the ground. We have to we have to just see what happens next. If the if the Houthis decide to continue to attack, or there's attack on American forces inside of, of Baghdad, I was surprised. For example, last week, Tony, when um, the U.S. went after the uh, situation, went after that target inside close to Baghdad of that uh, Hezbollah Shia uh, stronghold there. So at least we're stepping up. We're trying to do something. It's it's still a failure of deterrence, top to bottom. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States uh, Army West Point guy. Um, this idea of, of failure, this idea of, of a, a lack of deterrence, and the idea that this should have taken place two months ago, which is exactly where, where I'm at. We talk about the idea of negotiation. Maybe I'm wrong. Was this uh, an attempt from the United States to engage in negotiation with Houthis? Or was that the the cover? And the truth is the U.S. did not want to get involved in the Houthis because it would show a further alliance with Israel in this fight against Hamas, and they didn't want that projected on the world stage. 
Yeah, I think um, there's not a lot of negotiating with the Houthis. It's not in the U.S. interest to negotiate here because we kind of come down to that level of, uh, you know, kind of a almost borderline third world country that's, that's taking place there. And we just are looking for changes in behavior. We're looking for really more of a behavior modification. Um, get, getting other Middle Eastern countries to, to put pressure on the Houthis obviously wasn't working. And it all just comes back to Iran. It comes back to getting them to understand. I, I don't know what it's going to take for the Iranians to change their behavior. And the Houthis have got to be, again, thinking about this relationship anyway, because if, if they don't, uh, you know, the, they're, if they don't stop doing this, the United States is going to continue to destroy military targets there. But, but it's not in our interest to be negotiating with the Houthis here. They, it, 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 we prop them up and give them more power and give them more, uh, you know, cachet than they really have in the situation. Let me take you uh, away from this conversation and, and where I started with um, the, the the Pentagon. And, and uh, just as a matter of disclosure, I did reach out to you uh, via mm-hmm. uh, a, a message, and I'm like, this uh, this from you know Secretary Austin. Uh, not informing the president. What what do you make of this? So let me ask you now, um, as you have seen what has happened, uh, being in a hospital, the president not being informed, really not being given the full story until just the other day, uh, the, the spin from the Pentagon, uh, to the extent that you can talk about it, how mm-hmm. is this being responded to or reacted to by uh, the military up and down the line? Well, I mean... <laughs> This administration has got to decide what it wants to do regarding the behavior here. Um, I can understand how Secretary Austin wanted to be somewhat private with this, uh, with this uh, diagnosis that he received and thought things were going to go faster. It's a a classic example of so many different things um, went badly from a communications chain perspective that usually would have stop gaps that would have that would have changed that um, his uh, chief of staff who had the uh, right to, and had the responsibility to, to um, communicate didn't do it because uh, they were sick and then the deputy was on vacation and a lot of you know he still had that responsibility to make sure it had happened um, we just have to, to see what goes on I think this now has become a little bit of a distraction and you saw the administration say, that um, he's been in charge and ordered the uh, the strikes from his hospital bed. So uh, it's again to me, from the administration's perspective, it's up to them uh, what they want to do going forward. But I really think it's going to all pass over here shortly. Major Mike Lyons, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on the Twitter Xbox M A J Mike Lyons L Y O N S M A J Mike Lyons on Twitter. Um, I when, I get the feeling that there's only so much that is going to be said by those within and around the military uh, for, you know, discussing what it is that Secretary Lloyd Austin did. Taking this time away and no one being informed, the absolute failures of of the Pentagon. And and there's an extent to which I can appreciate it and I can accept it. I think that we should be much louder about this. I don't, I I cannot rationalize anybody who thinks that this is just not a big deal. This this is an incredibly big deal because this is about whether or not we have standards in place and the standards are necessary. We have discussed here many times 
that, that I have absolutely no interest, none, less than zero, I have absolutely no interest in the military being an instrument of social change. I don't care about it. I want the military doing what the military does, killing people and breaking things. I want what I want. I want the U.S. military to work with precision. I want it to follow the chain of command. I want it to be decent. And I want it to instill fear in our enemies and in our allies. I want them to look at what we are capable of, our technological advances, and say, holy damn, I'm glad they're a friend. I'm sorry, what do you want? Maybe you've never asked yourself the question. Maybe we want different things, but I know what I want. And if I were the commander-in-chief, this is exactly what I would be pushing and exactly what I would be going for uh, to, to, to damn all hell with the people who want weakness. I will, I will roll over them with, with joy because what they want is wrong because weakness is wrong and weakness invites, well, more attacks from Houthi rebels, using that as an example. But if you are willing to look the other way, when the Secretary of Defense is not in contact with the President of the United States, their boss, to let them know that they're going to be incapacitated, and no one in the Pentagon can figure out how to pick up a phone call, pick up a phone and make a phone call, you're the leader of the free world and you're okay with that? How is that not maddening? We're not discussing Biden here. We're not even discussing Lloyd Austin here. We're discussing the basic premise. How is this okay with you, with them, with anyone? What happens to someone ideologically that they can look at this and say, well, it's a Democrat, so it's okay. I'm not worried about it. You should be worried about it. This is incompetence. And it's dangerous. It's life-threatening. And it does indeed state, uh, I think it was uh, Elise Stefanik, the congresswoman from New York, who said uh, uh, it it weakens us on the world stage. And I remember listening to that and said, uh, it it weakens us, period. I don't know if I say on the world stage as as if somehow there's another stage that that you could be on. But if we're going to break this up into the domestic conversation and the international foreign conversation... In no way does this make us better. In no way does this work. And more than the lack of communication, it is the breakdown of the system that creates actual fright in me. And very few things do that. Actual fear. A total breakdown in systems that are clearly in place and have been in place for generations. And... And, and we're just going to sit quietly and say, well, they've initiated a review and they're committed to doing better and that's what matters. That is press release bullcrap. That comes from the crisis management team of pick your D-list actor who ended up on a sex tape. That is not an acceptable response from the Pentagon, from anybody who dares wear a uniform with medals on their chest like I'm supposed to respect them. That's impossible. And I don't like the fact that we're okay with it. I really, that more people aren't outraged, I find that to be the outrage. 
And no, I, I, Lloyd Austin is absolutely guilty in my view, and so is his staff, and I'd fire everybody. And the fact that the president isn't doing that, that's the weakness. That is frightening. That's a concern. And if it's not a concern because of your political party, you're doing it wrong. The problem is nobody tells you you're wrong. You're wrong. No debate. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. So should the bus be free on election day? I think this is fascinating. This is an Indiana conversation. Fascinating. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. So there is a state senator by the name of Gary Byrne and at District 47. And Gary Byrne is asking a question of why it is that we have in certain areas buses, public transportation, that are free on election day. As a matter of fact, uh, AARP um, is a sponsor of, of sponsoring free bus rides on election day. And he's got legislation out to put an end to this. And his rationale is, well, it's not fair. Not everybody gets free transportation. You have to be in one of these uh, kind of rural um, and urban areas to get it. That's my use of the word urban. Uh, and, and the rural areas don't get buses, so it, it's, it's not fair to them. People, of course, on the political left are screaming voter suppression. First, to those people, you sound silly. You have to offer free transportation on election day. Otherwise, it's voter suppression. Come now. Where is that written? That is a nonsensical argument. You sound silly. It's You have one play in the playbook. Uh, I mean, this is why you don't believe in voter ID, voter suppression. You're ridiculous. If I need an ID for the bank or to get Sudafed, you need it to vote. Of course you do. And anybody who says otherwise favors the opportunity for fraud. That's what they favor. We're, we're clear and done with that. Yes, progressives, I'm talking about you if you favor no voter ID. Now, I have, I think, mentioned before free rides on election day. I was like, good. But I never asked myself the question, wait a second, is it? Is indeed paying for uh, bus rides on election day, is that trying to sway an election? Is that trying to buy a vote? That's a fascinating conversation. Now, the answer we may come to might be no, but at least the conversation itself is amazing. Because I think the answer might be yes. And indeed, if there are no buses in the rural areas, how are those people getting to the polls? If the state is going to allow this, then you got to allow it everywhere. You got to have it everywhere. Shouldn't that be the case? If AARP wanted to charter its own buses, as opposed to paying the state to offer free bus rides, that would be different. Because anybody could charter their own buses and help people get to the polls. But should it happen through a state agency? That's a really good question. And as I, I, I look at it and spend, I mean, it really just spent 24 hours on it. My answer is no. So I'm curious where people are at. We're, we're going to see how this progresses in the General Assembly.
It's a fascinating question. But the people who immediately scream voter suppression, it's progressives. It's it's what they do. It's what they do. And, and they're not seriously engaged. Let us be seriously engaged. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. strategy on a national level to spread it throughout the country and not target just certain cities. So what's the overall fix, the solution? And can a federal <laughs> government do more? Oh, yes, they can. The overall fix is uh, cities, El Paso, Brownsville, Chicago, uh, New York, cities should not be handling a national crisis of this magnitude. We're getting, in average, and just think of this number, there are weeks we get 4,000 migrants that come into our city. Uh, when you have been anywhere from 2,500 to 4,000 coming in a week and you have to find housing, food, shelter, clothing, educating the children, health care. That's not sustainable. It's a $12 billion hole in the budget of our economy. It's going to impact low-income uh, New Yorkers and it's going to impact every service in this city. And I said it last year, we're going to start seeing the visualization of this crisis. We've done a great job, but we can't continue to sustain this. And I do want to ask you, you can't sustain it. America can't sustain it. That's the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, on uh, Good Morning America there, ABC. The, the issue here is that America can't sustain it. And every day you talk about where this administration is at, where Congress is at, and the answer is nowhere. As a matter of fact, you have people like Representative Ocasio-Cortez who want to say, well, the easy way to deal with undocumented immigrants is to make them documented. Just say, okay, you're in the country, and all of a sudden the problem disappears? No. No, 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 it doesn't. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. Griff Jenkins joins me right now. Of course, you know his work from Fox News, co-anchor of Fox News Live. And he has been covering the border since before it was cool to cover the border. And I do want to get into with you, uh, Griff, your story about Secretary Mayorkas and finally admitting the number of illegal immigrants released into the U.S. But the big story is this Eagle Pass story where Texas has seized control of a park and is preventing Border Patrol from entering. Talk to me about what's happening here. Hey, Tony. Happy Friday. This is crazy. And by the way, I was literally just moments ago in front of AOC's office on Capitol Hill in the Cannon House office building. I was walking past there. I had gone to interview her next-door neighbor, who is Texas Congressman and former Navy SEAL Dan Crenshaw. So, you know, you never know where you're going to end up. But alas, I am not an Eagle Pass, where I did spend most of September, most of October, and the first part of December in that very area. And what has effectively happened, and believe me, I've had phone calls all night long and all morning long talking to both Texas officials, Border Patrol officials, and the Border Patrol Union, guys like Brandon Judd, to sort of figure out what's going on. And ultimately, at this very moment, in that location where you saw me doing countless live shots under that port of entry along the river there, along the Rio Grande, in Eagle Pass, the, the Texas National Guard has effectively chain-fenced it off with razor wire and kicked Border Patrol out because the governor, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, believes that essentially Border Patrol now is an extension of 
the Biden administration is complicit in allowing this border crisis to transpire. And, you know, if Governor Abbott were listening to this interview now, I would caution my friend down there in the great Lone Star State that he's creating a much larger problem and mess than he is in terms of uh, uh, offering solutions. And, you know, it's important to remember, Tony, while I understand people are upset that the Border Patrol is doing nothing but processing and transporting migrants, those Border Patrol agents don't make the policy. And, you know, ultimately, you can't get around the fact that immigration and border enforcement is a federal responsibility, which is why you've had the Border Patrol there. But if you do sort of the the step back from 30,000 feet, Remember, Greg Abbott did a brilliant thing in standing up what was Operation Lone Star in the spring of 2021, just a couple of months into Biden's new administration. As he undid every one of the Trump uh, policies, he saw, Greg Abbott rightly saw this crisis coming. I'm sure he didn't even imagine the likes of which we've got today with 300,000 plus in December and the 85% being released, but he knew that problem was coming. So Texas Governor Abbott set up the Operation Lone Star to create Texas DPS and Texas National Guard to supplement Border Patrol in their mission to try and deal with it. Now he's done a 180 and he's kicked them out of their own area of operation. And it puts both agents in a difficult spot. It puts migrants in a very dangerous spot because ultimately they have to release Texas National Guard has to release these migrants ultimately into Border Patrol custody because they don't have any legal means to detain them. All right, so let's break this down a little bit, Griff. Talking to Griff Jenkins of Fox News as he's there uh, as a correspondent, as he often is in D.C., but spends more time on the border than anybody I know. Eagle Pass, not too far from San Antonio, actually close to Uvalde, and this is where Greg Abbott has taken over a park and kicked out Border Patrol. As a matter of just uh, basic explanation, why specifically this park uh, in Eagle Pass? That is a fantastic question, Tony. Why this park and why now when actually the numbers in specifically the Del Rio sector in Eagle Pass, the numbers are actually lower than they've been in recent weeks? Like, why do this now? And I don't have the slightest idea why. It could be because... The governor is sitting in his office in Austin watching the Fox News cameras play out uh, in Eagle Pass because that's where we've been, you know, for so many months because it is one of the ground zeros. There's two two areas that you've seen our Border Patrol uh, getting overwhelmed the most, and that's in Eagle Pass, Texas, and then a thousand miles to the west in Lukeville, Arizona. So maybe it's because it is a ground zero spot. Abbott chose that, but I don't know. But at the end of the day, you know, preventing federal border patrol agents from doing their job is what's going to, you know, continue to to be part of this story. And, and there's, you know, all kinds of now lawsuits starting. I mean, you know, it's one of these things where you, Tony, me, a lot of your awesome, God-fearing, patriotic uh, listeners believe in law enforcement. And we have an important law enforcement partnership with the state of Texas trying to do everything they can to, to help the federal law enforcement partners get under control. But now you have what I can only uh, see the best analogy is a really nasty family spat going on. 
Right. And this is why you say that Abbott has created a bigger issue, which is not usually the kind of things that we hear. This isn't about excusing how the Biden administration and Alejandro Mayorkas, the, Dep- the Department of Homeland Security secretary, have acted. But you do think this creates an issue uh, that Abbott, did he get the information wrong or is he trying to send some other kind of statement? He's stepping on toes and he's hurting the people in, in your view that, he, that don't need to be hurt here. Well, yes. And, 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 you know, I'm as a reporter, I'm offering, I offer facts, but I'm offering more sort of context than I normally would. But you and I have been talking about this now for more than a year. And I think that, you know, when you bumped into the segment, you know, you were playing New York uh, 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 Mayor Eric Adams just crying foul, blaming the Biden administration about the migrant crisis he's got in the Big Apple. And you look at that and say, wow. How brilliant of an idea. I mean, just brilliant of an idea was it for Greg Abbott to start sending the border crisis to these sanctuary cities. He, he gets credit for that. It was brilliant. But in this case, the, the only sort of uh, uh, friction that, that I can report on, having sent September, October, and December in Eagle Pass, was that Texas was not happy about the wire getting cut. But the Border Patrol agents were forced to cut wire because of the humanitarian crisis it posed for the migrants. I documented it in live shot after live shot. And maybe there is something to maybe the governor's office decided let's kick the, uh, the, the Border Patrol out and try and get some sort of wire cutting you know, agreement. They don't, want, they don't want their wire cut. I don't know. Maybe it's that. But I also know for a fact the, the, you know, uh, Border Patrol agent in charge in just the Eagle Pass part of the Del Rio sector of the National Federal Border Patrol doesn't get to make that decision. That comes from, from Washington. And so, you know, he's picked this fight with tired, exhausted, overwhelmed, overrun agents and in, in Border, Patrol, uh, Border Patrol agents in, in Eagle Pass when he really should keep that fight at the Biden administration level and doing things like he's doing with shipping migrants to sanctuary cities, that's having an effect in Washington. Exhausting and creating a nightmare of a mess in Little Eagle Pass, Texas, for Border Patrol agents who are already outnumbered, you know, that doesn't really solve anything that I can see. Talking to Griff Jenkins of Fox News. Catch him on Fox News Live uh, on weekends. You, you wrote uh, the story that Mayorkas, uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security, has finally admitted that above 85%, quote-unquote, of illegal immigrants are released into the United States. And while you're in D.C. right now, you mentioned you were just at the offices of Representative Dan Crenshaw uh, of Texas. You've got House Republicans not happy with Speaker Mike Johnson regarding the spending uh, bill uh, trying to avert government shutdown because it does not engage uh, more either dollars or or policy security for the border. Is the border going to blow this up and we're going to see government shutdown coming? Well, uh, you are certainly wise in your years, Tony, in seeing, you know, what's coming. And let's not, you know, uh, downplay the fact that the government's going to have this fiscal cliff problem a week from today. I mean, we're a week away. And Speaker Johnson came in, got a little bit of a honeymoon, got this agreement on the uh, top line, which means they're going to agree on a certain amount of spending. He was touting in an interview on Fox about how he's getting $16 billion in cuts, so there's a little little haircut as well, so there's a little little something there. 
But at the end of the day, there are hardliners in the GOP, and I wouldn't be surprised, although I can't point specifically to one, if it didn't get bipartisan, Democrat actual support in a form of a holdout on the spending bill, if they don't get some sort of agreement, uh, which is, of course, the negotiations are on the Senate side, but make no mistake, it's the House and the Senate. We're all in this together uh, uh, in terms of getting a border agreement. If they don't get some, if Republicans don't get some agreement that any border deal, as it pertains to funding, would allocate money only, only for detention and deportation, removals and detaining, not money that would simply go to transporting and processing just more migrants faster. And that's where the fight is. And it is unclear that there is an agreement there. Yesterday, I spoke with Senator Tom Tillis. He's involved on the Senate side negotiations. And he said, he said, point blank to me, he said, Griff, I understand. I, I'm not at liberty to say what's been agreed to or not because it's still a moving target. It's very close to being a done deal. But I can tell you with certainty if those assurances about money being allocated for the detention and removal purposes, not for more processing and transporting, I can tell you this deal's dead. And if that deal dies and you're looking at a fiscal cliff, I think there's going to be more and more of an appetite to let the government shut down on this issue and go die on that hill. What is the appetite, before I, I let you go real quick, and I appreciate you taking the time, what's the appetite for impeachment of Mayorkas? I mean, this finally admitting after he st- had that press conference that we're, get, we're putting more people out of the country than ever, we're fr- fighting more of these people than ever, 85% of those who cross, uh, right, are, are, are allowed to stay in the country. What's the real appetite for impeachment here? I think that appetite is, if I, if I had to choose low, moderate, high, I would say right now, your stove is cooking at medium to medium hot. And I say that because you're seeing now a second hearing just got announced an hour ago. Next week, you're going to have the second uh, House hearing on Mayorkas' impeachment. It's going to look, I think I saw the headline was looking at the victims of Mayorkas' border crisis, and they're going to keep marching it out. But at the end of the day, there's got to be a fall guy, right? This is, this is the way the old story works. And, you know, Mayorkas, I think, in his admission of 85 percent, which is just unthinkable and conscionable, he ultimately is the guy that is going to be left holding the bag if the administration decides that they're going to let him take the fall. Now, why they would do that makes no sense. And to Mayorkas's credit, for all the criticism he's withstood, he does keep going to the border. He does meet with these Border Patrol agents behind closed doors and essentially let them yell at him. But, you know, he's not been absent. And so, you know, it's going to be one of those things like, well, if they impeach him, does it really serve a purpose? But I think the appetite, I think I think it's just gotten so bad, and he's offering his own ammunition against himself. It's gotten so bad that, that someone's got to be a fall guy, and he's looking like candidate number one at this point. Griff Jenkins from Fox News. Be sure uh, to catch him on weekends on Fox News Live. Everything the man does. I appreciate you taking uh, the time, sir, to be with us. Get back to work. Go make a living. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Baby, it's going to be so cold. 
I would sing Baby It's Cold Outside, but then I'd be accused of being all rapey. They still do that. They will still tell you that Baby It's Cold Outside is is, is the, the rape song these people are just... They're just... They're never, ever, ever happy. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. The cold is is coming. I mean, we in in central Indiana, we've had the rain all, all day. But to the north, like for the people in Muncie listening on WMUN, uh, I, I think they've already seen some some snow. Um, Bloomington, WGCL, that has not happened. You might see a little bit tomorrow, but we're all getting the cold. And by this weekend, when when you you wake up on Sunday. And it's three degrees out. That's that's rough, kitten. And and it's gonna go on from there. Just being Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this is gonna be rough. You want to be prepared now. You want to make sure the food is in the house now so you don't necessarily have to go out. You want to make sure that you've got a secondary heating source now so you don't have to worry about it then. You want to check on a neighbor and make sure they're okay now and then. That's what you want to do. Wind chills are going to put this into the negatives during, possibly during the day and definitely during the overnights. Be smart. Be safe. Uh, drip the faucets. Oh, drip the faucets. That's a... From a guy who who didn't drip enough faucets a couple years ago, drip the faucets. That's what I would do, and uh, and keep an eye on yourself, keep an eye on your neighbors, for sure. Cold air is coming any second. Just be ready for it. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Monday, everyone. Take care.